things that tend to be chronically tight tend to be chronically weak. Now, not saying like, okay, my hip flexors are really, really tight. They must be chronically weak. I'll just say if something is chronically tight, that means that something in this chain is chronically weak. Something's throwing it off. Katie Van Wagenen is a doctor of chiropractic, former CrossFit owner, founder of Summit Sport Therapy, and is certified in chiropractic acupuncture. Her mission is to deliver the highest quality of professional and compassionate care to patients through one-on-one -on -one active treatment. She joins us today to discuss the origins of acupuncture, how it works, how it compares to dry needling, and who can benefit from each. If you've ever considered acupuncture or dry needling, be sure to pay close attention as we compare and contrast both styles of treatment. Welcome to Only the Greatest Podcast. If you're feeling stuck and unsure what to do next in your fitness journey, we might be what you're looking for. My name is Philip. I own and operate OTG Fitness, which is a private personal training gym on the south side of Houston in Webster. I do this podcast every week with my best friend, Daryl. We've been friends since third grade and working out together ever since. Also joining us today will be Sean. He's the one that makes this podcast not only sound great, but look good as well. Our goal here is to help Houston make its way up the ladder of health and fitness. So if you're in the Houston area and ready to become the greatest version of yourself, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Katie Van Wagenen. I yes. had it wrong the whole time. <laughs> it's okay. I'm so sorry. Um, before we start, just real quick, I wanted to say thank you. We've gotten uh, more than a couple of referrals from from your office that have come started personal training at our gym. So I super appreciate that. And that just means so much to me. So I wanted to start with that before oh. we kind of dive in. Well, they all rave about you. So oh, awesome. expect many more. Yeah, that would be so great. <laughs> um, but not what we're talking about today, right? So what we're talking about today is mostly something that you do, which is acupuncture and dry needling. So first things first, uh, here in America, acupuncture is not very common. So I was just very curious of what got you started with acupuncture, uh, did that come first? Did the dry needling come first? Like, what's what's the story going on there? I Well, I wanted to do dry needling. But okay. in the state of Texas, as a chiropractor, I can't just sign up for a 12-hour weekend dry needling course like a lot of PTs can. So um, as a chiropractor in this state, I had to go through the 100-hour acupuncture course. And I, I had... I didn't really have any desire to learn about traditional Chinese medicine. Like I just wanted to, wanted to do the dry needling and I was like, okay, well, you know, stepping stone, got to do what I got to do. Um, but what, what had, or what the condition that led me into it was basically plantar fasciitis. The first three, four years of practice, I had a handful of patients and I would probably say plantar fasciitis was the most stubborn condition. You know, I threw everything at it, but well, actually to include the kitchen sink, you know, like Graston or the active release technique, uh, physical rehabilitation, strength and mobility and stretching. And, you know, after treating these patients for three or four months, they were at like 20% improvement in 
that's not where you want to be at, you know, three or four, uh, three or four months in the, into therapy. And now most of these patients had had very chronic conditions, you know, plantar fasciitis for 20 plus years on and off. They'd already been through the PT. They had been, um, gotten the boot, went to the podiatrist, had the steroid injection. Some of them even had the surgery. So they're just kind of at their wits end. What, what else is there? Am I just going to have to be in pain and deal with this for the rest of my life? And so I started to dive into the research. I was like, there has to be something else. And I came across dry needling. Didn't really know what it was. I certainly didn't do it. I, I, I read a little bit about it. Okay. It's an analog of acupuncture. It seems like looked up some local people and I referred them out and then they would come back a month or so later and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm 80% better. And I'm like, what? After one month. And I was treating them for like three or four months for like 20%. So, I, you know, after that happened three or four times, I was kind of like, okay, I need to seriously look into this because clearly the results they're getting, I'm not getting with the tools I have. So you decided to start learning about dry needling yourself. And in that mm -hmm. process, you were unable to do so. Yes. So you had to take a hundred hours yeah. of acupuncture. Yes. And then you could go qualify to be able mm -hmm. to do dry needling. Is that, is that, am I understanding yeah. that right? So basically <clears throat> through the acupuncture course. So in traditional Chinese medicine, they call them ashi points, tr you know, trigger points. Okay. So you don't necessarily just have to go off the meridian therapy. You know, I can do these ashi trigger points, which is essentially dry needling. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So acupuncture is an old tradition and mm -hmm. dry needling came later. Oh yeah. Like dry needling has probably been a thing for the last 30 years. Um, it was probably around like the 1940s and 50s. So we all have, well, I would say probably most PTs and chiros and, and, and even some orthopedics and physicians have this book from Travell and Simmons. It's like this uh, Janet Travell was the one who, she was a physician. She really compiled like all the research that had been done over the previous centuries and recent research about trigger points and muscles. And, uh, she was really the first one to propose trigger point injections with like corticosteroid or analgesics. So I actually, well, I brought the book, but like they're like red books and there's an upper and a lower and they're like these two volumes. And it's like kind of like the Bible of <laughs> <laughs> trigger points. But she was really the first one to propose that back in like the late forties and fifties. And from that, you know, that's when some physicians were like, well, is it really the corticosteroid or the analgesic or is it the mechanical, you know, physiological changes from the needle itself? So, and I believe it was a Czech physician um, back in like the late seventies who then basically hypothesized that it wasn't the actual wet needling, you know, with the substances, it was just the needle itself. And that's when all this other research came out. Ah, it, it kind of all just yeah. clicked together for me. When you, when you said the, the physical piece, which I, yes. I've heard it, um, dry needling described as the Western version mm -hmm. of acupuncture. And I knew kind of what it was, but the whole time you were talking, I was like, man, what exactly, what exactly do you mean? But then 
that one thing right there kind of clicked it all in for me. So let's start with, since dry needling came afterwards and acupuncture came first, Yeah. where did and when did acupuncture start? Do you know? So the, the experts, I, there's some controversy here. There's, it's, it's kind of misty, you know, some, some experts think it started actually in like Korea region. Others say it was Europe because of the Iceman they found that this was like the frozen mummy. Uh, this was like the early, early nineties. So I don't know how old you guys are, but I mean, I was, I was born in 91. Okay. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was 91. I'm like like 48. So (laughs) (laughs) very experienced. Sean is. I actually met that guy before he was (laughs) the mummy. So (laughs) yeah, I was around 8,000 years ago. No big deal. Um, so, well, they found this frozen mummy man. They gave him a name. I can't remember what it was, but the, his nickname was the Iceman, and they found him in the Italian Alps, and um, so and he still had you know his skin and everything, and he had sixty one tattoos, and they don't think they were decorative because they were these lines, and after they uh, imaged his body, um, they found that he had pretty severe osteoarthritis of like the knees, hip, and the lower back. And most of those tattoos were actually focused on like his lower extremity and his lower back. So they think that it was actually medicinal. The mm. tattoos like an early form of acupuncture, which is crazy. Mm. You know, so if, I mean, if that's the case, that was at least maybe a, a millennia or so before the Chinese really then, you know, took it, adopted it really mastered it and the Chinese documented it and mm. they kind of made it their own, but it speculated it was around a long time before then. Mm. And do you know when the Chinese did start documenting, documenting the pro- the process and procedures, did they yeah. really know what they were doing or were they kind of guessing on people? Like, could you imagine coming up first guy ever? Like I always think <laughs> I wear glasses, right? And I'm always like, yeah. who was the first person to ever try contacts? Yeah. Like, oh who, my God, yeah. Who was the first person to be like, yeah, go ahead and stab me with all these needles? Like, yeah. who yeah, or, did that? Who was or, the first person to eat an egg, right? Pretty, yeah. pretty exactly. Yeah. I, I would imagine it probably came about by accident. You know, somebody got stuck with a thorn or something and it like cured their sciatica and they were like, wonder what else I can stick myself with. He's like, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, oh, most of these things happen by accident and then it's yeah. just trial and error after that. Yeah, I am very curious when it comes to acupuncture because supposedly acupuncture, and I, I'm not an expert, so I'm asking you. Yeah. It kind of cures all types of things. I am, I do know, or I am at least familiar enough to know that dry needling seems to be direct on the source, which we're going to talk yeah. about more, more about dry needling here in a few minutes. But mm-hmm. for now, speaking of acupuncture, you don't necessarily have to, is there a better word than stab? Like, is there, <laughs> <laughs> like what's the proper you know, term? I, you know, insert a needle. Insert, okay. Yeah. You don't, in it's acupuncture. Sting. We can't say steam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, in acupuncture, you don't necessarily have to insert the needle directly on the pain point or exactly. whatever. Like, how do you know how that came to be or exactly how that works? You know, I, I think it was just by... They don't really know. I think it was just by trial and error, like finding the meridians and finding like, hey, if we do this point in the hand, it tends to help with people's neck pain, even though it's not in the neck. 
you know, it's on like this side, the pinky side of the the hand. It's like, I'm sure. And I mean, if you have 5,000 years to litmus test essentially and document, you start to notice trends after a while. So I would imagine that's how, how it kind of grew. It, it almost sounds like it started off more spiritual than scientific at all. Right. Right. Well, you know, this is one thing I will say, I think Eastern medicine has over Western medicine is they really look at the whole, mm. the whole person, like the psyche, your emotions, the internal, the external, where in Western medicine over here, we have a very reductionist view. Like, here's your musculoskeletal. Here's your GI tract. Here's your endocrine. Like, everything is so separate, and we kind we we downplay how intricate all of these systems are related and impact one another. What is a meridian? So the meridian is basically they go off of organs, and this is where it gets a little confusing because okay, like the stomach or the spleen, kidney, large intestine, they're, they're not directly correlating with what we think is like, okay, so is this impacting my large intestine? Well, it, it might be, but like, for instance, the liver is associated with um, anger. So, you know, if, so for instance, yeah. Uh, or the kidneys are associated with worry, or I'm too fixated on a topic and I can't focus on anything else. So that's what like the, so yeah, it it's goes well beyond that. Like the heart is associated with joy or too much joy. So like, for instance, people who are manic depressives, like, and they go on like a manic episode and they go on this massive shopping spree. That's like too much joy. It's kind of bad, you know? So the Chinese really kind of enveloped like the emotions and the psyche with the physical and really, and what, what I can imagine is just from years and thousands of years of documenting and noting trends, you know? And it's every time in your experience, do these meridian points always align the way that you expect them to? Not always. Okay. Not always. Can you give me an example maybe where, where it, does or does not? I'm just well, curious. what I'll say is I tend, what I've noticed in practice is that the, if, if people tend to have multiple issues, whether they know it or not, right? So a lot of people, for instance, who have lower back pain have some sort of digestive um, history, you know, IBS, Crohn's disease, uh, gluten intolerant, or maybe they're just chronically constipated. They haven't been officially diagnosed with anything, but they're just like, Hey, I make two bowel movements a week. It's like, okay, well, that's not normal, you know? Um, and now oh, I just haven't gotten it checked out or anything, but they also, in addition to that, they have chronic low back pain, right? Well, a lot of those meridians that are associated with digestion are in the lower extremity. So you see like the external and the internal, you, you start to see this overlap and it's not with everybody, you know, I'd probably say 60 to 70% of those cases, they do kind of align, mm -hmm. you know? So I normally, if I have a chronic low back, I am going to kind of ask them about their di digestion. Like, Hey, do you have any GI issues or history? And then, but and if they don't, then you're going to go straight to the yeah. physical piece. But if they do, then they cut your wheels start spinning. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Then I'm going to yeah. be throwing in some some of the distal points on the meridian that like in the foot or ankle or calf that 
are clearly not the lower back, but they're part of that meridian, mm-hmm. wow. you know, that then impacts the lower back, but it also impacts digestion because, well, why not? I definitely want to ask some more. I have some more questions about who can benefit from this, but even mm-hmm. before we go there, when it comes to acupuncture, like we're talking about inserting needles in the skin, uh-huh. right? How how big are they? How deep does it go? Okay. Uh, does that vary depending on the situation? Yes, and that's actually a very important question because I think anybody who listens to this who's needle phobic, like, before you turn it off. Yes. <laughs> These, you know, we tend to think of the needles as like, I get a shot or I'm getting my blood drawn. Okay. The gauges of those needles are very large. The, the needles used for both acupuncture and dry needling are very small, like almost like just a little bit thicker than the diameter of a hair. I just want, just to be, sorry mm. to interrupt, just to clear, you said large gauge, but then you said small. Oh, I'm sorry. So, but they're, um, they're, the yeah, gauge, smaller, the higher yes. the number, the smaller it is. They're bigger needles. I'll just put it that way to draw blood. Right, right, right. right. Okay. Where the acupuncture, dry needling, they're much, much, much smaller. Like they're okay. teensy tiny. And also, too, they're rounded. They are not beveled. Mm. So when I go to get a shot or get blood drawn, the needle is beveled because it's meant to pierce and penetrate through the skin and the vein to draw the blood or inject a vaccine or something. The acupuncture and dry uh, dry needling needles are rounded, so they're not meant to pierce or penetrate. So it's like if I had a pen or something, which I don't think I have, but you know, just using my finger, imagine this is like a blown up needle, mm-hmm. and I need to go in here. I'm going to put this in there. But you see how it's like displacing? Mm-hmm. I'm not, right, if I remove my finger, there's no blood, right, I didn't cut through anything, I'm just essentially displacing the skin and the tissue to get to that trigger point, that's what the needle's doing. So when I, that's why there's no need for alcohol, there's no need for a tourniquet, you know, it's, they're one-time use needles, they're sterile, you put them in a sharps container when they're done, but... Yeah, you're not drawing blood. And there's never bleeding or maybe sometimes? There's like a couple. If you nick a little capillary in the skin, there's just like maybe a little teensy tiny. I call it a drip drop. Oh, we got a little drip drop. I have <laughs> sterile cotton and it's literally do like- Do you a, tell them or like, oh, are yeah. they, are people looking when they do this? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, some okay. people do. Some people don't. Some people know it really helps them, but they don't like needles. And I said, you don't have to look at it and close your eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, go to your happy place. Got a little drip drop. Don't worry you about it. Got a little yeah, drip yeah. drop. <laughs> a little yeah. <laughs> you know, because bruising, especially if you're in like the fleshier areas, like the abdomen. So for low back, the, the abdomen is the mirror image of the lower back. Um, <laughs> your abdomen is very well vascularized for obvious reasons, right? You know, sure. that's where our organs and our uh, digestive uh, tract is. So the abdomen tends to bruise pretty easy just because of the blood flow. But like the calf, not so much. Mm-hmm. Further away from the heart, well, you know, less profuse with blood. Okay. You know, you don't tend to get a lot of drip drops there. <laughs> but okay. The, but the abdomen, yeah, you, get you a lot. do. Okay, and then going back to the size of the needles, are there different sizes? Oh, yes. Okay, mm. what's the what's the reason behind that? Uh, it depends on the size of the patient. Okay, you know, makes if, a lot of sense. Yeah, if, if I have a pretty petite patient, I'm probably inserting it, you know, five, 10 millimeters you know, maybe a centimeter and a half. 
But if I have a very large patient or a very muscular patient and I'm, and I'm in their glute or their hamstring, you know, they have thick, big muscles. I might have to go, you know, easy two inches. So we're talking, Mm -hmm. there is, there's different diameter needles as well as the depth that you're going changes as well. And you're kind of, you're making that call on the fly, depending on the person and the situation. You know, and I've been doing this for about two years, so I can kind of eyeball it. I I generally have three or four different sizes and gauges of needles Mm -hmm. for certain people, like based on, you know, because I mean, I'll needle somebody sometimes too, if I'm using too, uh, too small or too short of a needle, because I'm asking them, hey, do you feel anything? Because I'm looking for their chi, mm-hmm. you know, or the de- de- chi sign, you know, can which you, is a stimulus. Can you define that for me? So uh, when you needle and I'm looking for that trigger point or I'm looking for that acupoint, I'm looking to get what we call a stimulus, meaning... Sometimes if it's just going through normal healthy tissue, that needle's just gliding. There's no resistance and you can feel it moving, but you're like, yeah, I feel it moving. It doesn't feel like anything. But <laughs> when I get to that trigger point or I get to that acupoint, you're like, oh, there it is. And it can be a muscle twitch. It can be this like transient sharp kind of, it's not really pain. I say it's a sensation. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to describe if you haven't had it or like it's a dull, achy, throbby, pulsating. Like it's like a dull ache and you're like, oh yeah, that hit. Oh yeah, there it is. But it's not really pain. It's a sensation. Mm-hmm. That's the chi. That's okay. the stimulus I'm looking for. Because if, if, if I'm needling you and you're just like, meh, we're not doing anything. We're kind of wasting our time. Okay. And so we have different types of needles Mm -hmm. and different depths. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you you mentioned that the reason you would use different ones is the size of the patient. Mm -hmm. What about when it comes to what the patient is diagnosed with? Does the needle change then or is that all about placement? So, I mean, it's all about placement. You know, if I'm in the, you know, the neck and the shoulder, I'm obviously, relatively speaking, I'm going to be using smaller needles than in the lower back, the glutes, pelvis, thighs, Mm. hamstrings, quads. Uh, So I would say it's kind of a mixture. Okay. Then can you give me maybe a a couple different reasons or reasons people would get acupuncture and when people come to you, are they looking for acupuncture or are they giving you the, you giving you a problem Mm -hmm. and then you determine the acupuncture is what Mm -hmm. they need? Like which, which are you seeing more of, or is it both? It's kind of both, but quite honestly. So, you know, before, uh, the dry needling acupuncture, I, you know, I did active release cupping grass and all that. And what I have found is if, for a new patient I've never seen before, you know, I, I don't know their history, like other, other than what they've told me, right? I don't know how they're going to respond. I prefer to start with acupuncture and dry needling because I don't know how inflamed they are. I can get little hints like, hey, I, you know, if I take ibuprofen or Tylenol, it really, really helps. Well, that's already telling me there's already like a little flag in my head. They're inflamed. Because if they weren't inflamed, the ibuprofen, Tylenol, Advil, Mot- what you know, whatever, wouldn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. So, but, and then vice versa, if I have a patient come in and say that, oh, I tried taking X, Y, or Z and it didn't do anything for me. I'm like, okay, this patient's probably not as inflamed. So, but 
if I hit that inflamed patient who took Tylenol and it really, it helped at least alleviate it, take the edge off. And I hit them with like cupping. They'll, they might feel good leaving, you know, we'll get better range of motion, better functionality, but three, five, eight hours later, they, they have a, a flare up because it's too much inflammation. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the surface area of a cup versus like a teensy tiny little needle, you know, so I like to start with the acupuncture dry needling first. That's like my precursor, like baby steps. And you're kind of, you're almost testing. Yeah. A and little I, bit and, in I, your and way. I ask yeah. them too. I say, Hey, this is what I do. Are we open to any and all of the things? Some patients will tell me straight up. I don't want any needles. I'm very, and then I'll try to say, well, what if we try one? <laughs> what if we, and if you absolutely hate it, if you absolutely hate it, we'll take it out and we will move on. Because yeah. then I'll just normally stick with a lot of like active release techniques. Sounds I, the way I can relate to that a little bit is <clears throat> obviously we do personal training, <laughs> yeah. right? People oftentimes they want to exercise <laughs> to lose weight. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason they want to exercise. Yeah, and enough. obviously I need to talk to them about the other big part of this, which is diet. Yeah. So I like, how do you feel about making any changes in your diet? And they're like, nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, can we talk about that in six months? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> and that's where I'm like, well, and I take the same the same strategy as yourself. It's like, what if we just try to make one, one change. little change? Yeah. You know? And so and and you they're all in my situation, they're pretty much always open yeah. to it because they know it's gonna everyone knows that they need to eat better. They just don't yes. want to. Right. It's so kind of like really everybody knows they might need a little bit of acupuncture, dry needling in their life. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, <laughs> for those for those patients who are, who are initially apprehensive, I feel like the explanation and the anxiety. And then when I finally do it, they're like, "Oh, that's it." Sure. Yeah, this is it. Like, and I said, I know it, it's kind of like, I, I do want to educate them, of course. And I do want to, you know, tell them what they're about to get into. But I feel like that pre-needle anxiety, especially if you've never had it before. And then once they finally do it, it's just like this, you know, anti-climax. Like, it's like, oh. Yeah, I hate to get off track again. But another way I can relate that to diet is people have foods that they love or they really crave a lot of, right? The thought process and excitement that you get from driving to the restaurant mm-hmm. and oh, sitting down and waiting yeah. for it. Yeah. You're and salivating. Yeah. <laughs> you're already like ready for it. That's the fun part. And yes. then when you actually eat it, you're like, uh, uh, same old, same yeah. old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had this last month. Same yeah, I had, I had this yeah. huge expectation, right? And then like when it finally happened, you're just like, meh. And that just all is a reminder of the power of our mind. 100%. It is our mind that is swaying the way that we feel, the emotions that we have. Mm -hmm. It's not what's actually happening in front of us, you know? The Mm -hmm. psychosomatic connection is so real. And I, and again, that's why I feel like Eastern medicine, you know, whether it's traditional Chinese medicine or um, what is it? Ayurvedic medicine from India, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, They really look at the person as a true whole rather than Western where we're like, oh, go see a psychiatrist. I'm only here to deal with your stomach issues or I'm only here to deal with your musculoskeletal issues. And that's just not how the body works. Yeah, I'm very, um, so actually uh, way off topic here, but in a couple of weeks we have an Ayurvedic 
um, <gasps> practitioner do? coming on and I'm very no. interested to learn and just putting together, like we had this little agenda, right? So putting together the agenda, I was just like so interested and I'm so excited to get her in here. You're going to have to tell me more. I am so interested okay, at, yeah. in, in like learning more about it. And I forgot what the name is and I would probably like murder the term, but there's like a purification. It's like a three month, you know, process of purifying like especially if you're like preparing to like get pregnant which you know not saying is like gonna happen like right now but (laughs) my husband I already told my husband it's like hey FYI like when we're serious about like Mm -hmm. really trying we're going through this Ayurvedic process of three. And he was like, and my, my husband's like mad chill. He's like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I like this guy. So, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 He's yeah. super, yeah, yeah. He was super brave. He was like my guinea pig and everything. When I, like we had just started dating, I was like, Hey, so I'm doing acupuncture training. Got a bunch you know, of would needles. You be, yeah, would, you be, would you be willing for, you know, would you, and he's like, yeah, sure. I was like, it was, it's just like so easy. And I was just like, okay, good. Like literally we had gone on like one date. I'm going to marry this man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Seriously. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Did he have any, um, this will help us get back on topic a little bit. Did he have any actual issues that you were able to treat or was it more just practicing with the needles? He had some lower backs. He's a firefighter okay, and he has really tight hip flexors. Yeah. And, you know, and it wasn't to the point where it was inhibiting him per se. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't like he was in, you know, um, I would say to the point of impacting his everyday activities, but to the point, for instance, where he would go to the gym and roll out for like 35 to 45 minutes. Just to feel a little better. Like to loosen up for squats. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm six years older than you. And I do not need to roll out for 40 minutes prior to doing a workout with squats. Like yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a problem here, you mm-hmm. know, there's an imbalance there and we, we can easily address it and just kind of showing him some things and planting some seeds in his head about, you know, what to augment his warm up. Like mobility is great, but clearly something's, something's weak. Something's imbalanced. We need to. And ins- you, did you treat it directly during your oh, I learning would. process? Yeah, I would. Needled his abdomen. He hated it. I can say it's not a fan favorite, but it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works. Um, and then now he doesn't need 40. Nice. 35 minutes to warm up anymore. He's like 15, 20. He can come to a class and just do a regular warm up, like, which is 15 minutes and he's fine. But yeah, I learned my lesson with needling the abdomen. So when I had done the acupuncture course, remember how I said, I just want to do dry needling, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm really not interested in all this other stuff. I have Mm -hmm. no interest. And I remember my instructor saying, okay, okay. If you have any patient who has chronic low back pain, always assess their abdomen and and I'm just there like, yeah, okay, sure. And, you know, go through the course, pass my boards, right? Well, there, I had a patient and she had had two pregnancies and she had this chronic low back and she had been to her primary care. She had been prescribed like muscle relaxers and some pain meds. She had gone through PT. She had seen other chiros and she goes, I don't know what this is, but I've had this chronic low back pain since my second child. I know this isn't my normal. She, like she wanted to get back into doing, um, you know, triathlons and other races. Wow. And she's like, I just, I'm having trouble getting off the floor playing with my kids. Like I can't even, I've tried to like get back into some training. She's like, I can't, 
is too painful. But she had already exhausted all these options. And, and I had been trading her for, you know, it was like 12 weeks, maybe going on 16 weeks. And, you know, we just, we were missing it. Like it was better, but not to that like significant, like, I feel like I'm good to go. And I had, we had already gone through everything. Like we tried the cupping and the active release and the Graston and, and the strengthening exercises and the mobility and all this other stuff. And, and when she had been on it and she had been diligent, I was like, okay, what am I missing? And I remembered what my instructor said. And I was like, okay, I told her, please bear with me. We're going to look at your abdomen. And she goes, I'm willing to try anything. And I kid you not, after needling her abdomen, like incorporating that into the treatment plan, like two weeks later, she she went from like 30, 40% improvement to 90% improvement. Mm. It was the trigger points in her abdomen that were keeping the lower back. And then, I mean, I haven't seen her in like two years and she's doing great. So it's just crazy where like these things that I was learning in the process that I was very skeptical about, like- why would I treat the abdomen, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I applaud you for being open-minded and remembering that even though you really doubted it, that's something that professionals uh, yeah. really lack these days. They get caught up in what works for them and what they yes. did in the past. I heard a video recently <clears throat> from someone that I um, really look up to online, which is very few people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they were talking about uh, how everyone has a bias. And oh, if you 100%. claim that you don't, you are not only lying to everyone that you're telling, but you're lying to yourself. Self. So uh, it is very important to understand your own bias and then do try something anyways. The 100%, the hardest thing I, I, I think about, not just being a practitioner, but even with what you do, is complacency. I feel like it's human nature mm -hmm. and I really have to like test myself every day and be like, okay, hold on, take a step back. Am I just going through the motions here or am I, you know, do I need to look at something else? Do I need to consider something else? Cause you do, you get comfortable in like a groove until you get that case or that patient that's not following your bias. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, how dare you? Uh -huh. but then <laughs> how you, dare you? That's when like the critical thinking hat really has to be put yes. on and it tests you as a real professional. It does. Yeah. And I really have to take a step and like, really like, okay, what am I missing? And then even outside like nutrition, mm -hmm. like should we get like blood tests, micronutrient testing, hormones, like things I had never really considered until the last couple of years because like cases came up like, I had this 29 year old male and now granted he injured his neck doing backflips when he was intoxicated, you know? Okay. okay whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you know, those big, you know, those big that. like pads on like the lake, you know, like those big like jumping pads, like on Richie Rich. Yeah. You remember that movie? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's on the lake. Right. Yeah. yeah. What? Like the blob. Like, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So anyways, he had, Tried to do a couple of backflips and he landed on his neck. So not surprising. He has neck pain. But then, and this was somebody too, who was pretty fit. And he's young. He's 29. He's in <laughs> CrossFit. Everything was going really, really good until this backflip incident, right? And treated him. And, and we were making improvement. And I don't even know what really prompted him to do this at some point. But he got his blood work done and his testosterone was incredibly low. Like his, his testosterone was that of like an 80 year old man and he's not even 30. And I missed that because there was no other like 
overt, obvious signs or symptoms that at least I noted, but also I didn't know to ask those questions. Right. So, you know, after that happens, like that one time, like now it's like, okay, hey, I learned my lesson. I'm going to grow from this. And now, you know, that was a couple of years ago, the amount of the population uh, or, you know, or just like the percentage of the population who has uh, who have hormone imbalances, you know, like Graves disease or thyroid, thyroid with women, like my age is insane or hormone imbalances. They can't get pregnant, you know, and all these things. And I'm just like, wow, wow. Like this is way more per- pervasive than I ever thought. And I never knew to ask these questions. Have you ever heard of the Dunn Kruger effect? No. You're not familiar with that? No. <clears throat> I'll try my best to explain this. Um, it's easy. It's really, it's easier with the chart, but Imagine a, uh, you know, a chart, right? If your y-axis and your x-axis. Okay. Okay. Across the x-axis is time. Okay. And across the y-axis is the knowledge that you think you have on oh, a particular shit. subject. Yeah, okay. The, the, the more yes. stuff you think you yes. know, and then it just goes like this. Yes. It plummets. That's correct. 100% so correct. When you first learn something, you exponentially think, uh, or yeah, you, you exponentially think that you know everything in a short amount of time. Yeah, like this is awesome coming out of school. Yeah, and yeah. You coming know, out of school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the great point. You know everything. You're at the top of the peak, and then slowly but surely you're you start like, day one. I know nothing. Yeah. I know what am I doing <laughs> here? Me, 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 yes. How did like they give kind me of professional person? Yeah, and, and then, like, then oh my god. And then at some point <laughs> it does turn, and it slowly, it slowly starts to. linearly make its way back because the more you know what i realized is the more i learn the more questions i have and like now i'm in this abyss of like do i know anything like you do but like it just opens up these cans of questions that is the dunn and kruger effect okay that is what's going on yes that's what it's called it was two science i I don't know all the i don't know the perfectly but um it was two science scientists i believe dunn and kruger their last names i'm assuming and, uh, yeah, that you just explained it perfectly. 100%. I, the most accurate thing I've ever yeah. seen in my life. It is very true for multiple subjects for a lot of people. And yeah. unfortunately, uh, not to sidetrack, but so, social media has a lot of people at that top peak mm. that think they know oh, everything. Yes. The influencers, yes. a lot of influencers are sitting on top of the Dunn and Kruger effect right now, just chilling up there. I don't know, maybe they're playing some tennis or something, yeah. you know, on top of this, you know, at the very top. <laughs> yeah. And maybe someday they'll come down. I don't know, you know, but unfortunately that's yeah. what's going on in our world right now. And I will say too, it's like you can find, and I feel like this is the, you know, there's a sidebar here to the information age is it's almost in some cases too much information Oh, for sure. because yeah, it's like people know, like when I'm going over just exercises, th- this is not rocket science, right? I'm not showing them this crazy move they've never seen before. No, we're going over the basics, but we're really honing in on mechanics. And it's like, and then all of a sudden, cause they look at this exercise, like, Oh, it's so mm-hmm. easy. But then I'm like, no, but we're going to be very, our form is going to be as meticulous as possible. And then all of a sudden that easy exercise is no longer easy. I do this every day. Uh, Exactly what you said. Obviously we do exercise, right? We're personal trainers. And I have a story that I tell people, I I tell this story at least once a week. Okay. Um, When we have a lot of new clients, I tell it multiple times. Sean maybe has heard me tell this story in the gym before. I'm not sure, but uh, it fits perfectly in what you're talking about. Um, Do you like baseball? 
Do I like baseball? Baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I dabble. Okay. Did you do you ever watch when you were younger? We're about the same age, right? How do you? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, how old am I? I'm 37. Know. Okay. I have to think. After 30, you stop counting. <laughs> you stop counting after 30. I swear. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you're a little older than me, but there was a uh, when we were young. There was a guy named Rafael Palmero. Do you okay. know who that is? Are you familiar with that name? That's, it sounds familiar. Okay. I'm not sure. He was uh, first baseman for the Rangers when we were young. He's one. Uh, okay. He, unfortunately, steroids like kind of messed up his career a no. little bit and stuff. But it was the time and age. But anyways, he is one of the greatest left-handed hitters to ever play the game of baseball in okay. history. Has over 500 home runs. Is you oh, know wow. would be for sure in the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for the steroid thing and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, yeah. when I was a kid. My baseball coach had a baseball card of Rafael Palmero hitting off a tee. Oh. And any time we complained about doing baby stuff or basic things, yeah. he would pull out this card and he said, do you think you're better than Rafael Palmero? <laughs> the greatest baseball players of all time oh so he was playing off a tee as a pro yes oh. that's the point oh i was like oh he okay, was a I professional baseball player but he's practicing the basics hitting off of a tee yes mm-hmm. no 100 and he would just always remind us the greatest baseball players of all time still hit off tees Oh, 100%. The and, fundamentals are well, what matter. Well, now I know that, but like yeah. same thing goes for weightlifting. Yes. You know, you're, when you're going over like Olympic lifts and cleans and jerks and snatches, like breaking down those fundamental movements and working with an empty barbell, which you can get a serious workout just with an empty barbell. Mm-hmm. Um, it is unreal. And like, you're just never too good for the fundamentals. Yes. And I feel like it's just something, again- kind of that that idea we were talking about complacency you know you're never too good mm-hmm. to go back to the basics very and much constantly so. review them it's like a cycle and in my opinion exercise is the ultimate example of that because of the safety factor mm-hmm. like part of exercise is to get bigger stronger to look better and all that all that stuff mm-hmm. is amazing but at the end of the day it's to live a long time yeah without getting hurt and with maintaining vitality into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. if you let the fundamentals slip, yeah. That's it's not you're going to hurt yourself. Oh, 100%. In a way that doesn't allow you to do that anymore. And, and so very gonna, important. And it's going to sneak up on you cuz oh, you're not going to know. And that's another reason why I love the fact that you know there's a coach you know, mm-hmm. somebody watching over you at OTG or even if if it's CrossFit or Orange Theory, whatever it is, but like having that oversight because there's so many things in my form that I don't know I'm doing under fatigue that if it wasn't for my coach saying, hey, like we were doing thrusters the other day, Katie, you're losing your core on the bottom of the thruster. And mm-hmm. it's like, I didn't know that because I'm dying. Because you're, you're, <laughs> when fatigue gets high, yes, that's when your mental... Uh, state starts to fade yes. yeah, you're for in sure. survival mode pretty yeah. much yeah <laughs> for sure you for know sure. that and i hate thrusters so well, who maybe doesn't? that was my body <laughs> yeah maybe that was my body rebelling but um but like these are things that if i'm working out by myself in a garage i'm gonna miss yeah for sure well we've talked a little bit about you mentioned low back pain mm-hmm. you mentioned tight hip flexors why else might someone want to pursue acupuncture so acu so this is another kind of distinguishing factor between dry needling and acupuncture. So dry needling is mainly musculoskeletal tendon, right? 
I have knee pain, shoulder, ankle, foot, neck, where acupuncture is all of that plus internal things. So anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, infertility, hormone imbalances, um, even addiction. You know, like in methadone clinics, they have acupuncture uh, adjuncts to that, j- similar to what they have in infertility clinics. You know, they, a lot of infertil- uh, infertility clinics have acupuncture as an adjunctive, you know, to help with getting somebody pregnant. Same thing with getting somebody off of, you know, those drugs, opioids mm-hmm. and whatnot. So acupuncture um, and these um, acupoints on the meridian, they have connections with the central nervous system in the brain. So they can impact your dopamine and your serotonin, mm-hmm. in, but in a very natural way, like the same way that you would take a pharmaceutical drug that's trying to do it, but the dosage might be too much or might be too little. Like acupuncture is approaching it like self-regulation, mm-hmm. you know, like in chiropractic, we learn about innate healing. Your body has the ability to heal itself. It just might need a nudge in the right direction, Right. And it's just like, what nudge are you going to do? Are you going to do something like acupuncture that's trying to, and I use this analogy too, for even dry needling, you know, when like the short, you have a short in your house, right? A thunderstorm happens or whatever. You got too many electrical things plugged in and okay. Short happens, lights go out. You have to go to the circuit breaker and you have to reset the circuit breaker to restore the electricity. So your light works. Think about dry needling and acupuncture. Like it's resetting. Okay. The muscular circuit for mm-hmm. muscular stuff, but it could be resetting the HPA axis for your hormones and your infertility, you see? So it's helping, it's kind of helping to self-regulate those internal conditions as well. And in, in your case, do you usually see those as like a bonus? Because uh-huh. I, I, I struggle to see someone that's struggling with some of these things that you're mentioning. It's like, acupuncture. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's not the first thing that comes to mind. And it's, it's not for a lot of people, but they're like, again, they're mainly seeing me for musculoskeletal things, right. but it's like, after doing a little bit of digging, you find out, well, they have really high anxiety or they do have digestive issues or they know they do have hormone imbalances or thyroid things, it, you know, and now you know, in comparison to say even five or six years ago, I know to ask certain questions, especially with certain conditions, just because, you know, I'm kind of curious and I want to help them. Um, so it, it becomes like an adjunctive thing, like, okay, yes, we're going to treat the musculoskeletal, but if I know I can hit other points on this meridian, that might help with that too. It's like, well, it's like two birds, one stone. And you're, you mm-hmm. kind of, you're pulling this out through conversation. Yes. Yeah. Usually. And, and it's not normally on the first day because it's a lot of information. It can right. be very overwhelming unless they're specifically, you know, coming in with those certain complaints or, mm. uh, you know, questions. And then once you do kind of figure all this out, you, your wheels are spinning in your head, you're putting all these things together. What exactly does an acupuncture treatment plan look like? You mentioned earlier that you had a patient and <clears throat> I've, I don't think I've ever heard someone say when they were talking about a client, they're like, I haven't seen her in two years. Yeah. And you're just like excited about that. That's, yeah. that's not normal. So your goal is yeah. to fix them and not see them anymore, which yeah. seems or, weird, or right? They, but, or they come back and, well, they see me when they need me. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be led on and kind of like, you know, the, the carrot 
and the the rabbit, you know, you're just getting, I don't do a lot of maintenance patients. Maintenance is not, I mean, listen, if you want to do maintenance, that's awesome. And how I leave it for patients who are interested is call me when you need me. Your body's going to tell you if you're doing all these, you know, I call it accessory work. If you're doing all this accessory work and you feel like you need to come in because it's just starting to catch up for whatever reason, Hey, of course, I'm always going to be here for you. Or if something new pops up, absolutely. But my goal is to figure out what's going on and then be able to give you the tools that where you can manage it on your own. Okay. Because, you know, then that's how, first off, I want to be treated. I don't want to be let on and have to go through all these tests or trials of treatment and all this other stuff and waste a ton of time and money. Nobody has time for that. But also, you know, if you treat people right, they're going to tell their their friends and their family and their cousin and their coworkers. And, that, you know, because I know somebody else had been like, well, aren't you scared of like losing people? It's like, well, no, if you treat them right, they're going to spread the word. They're going to spread the good word. <laughs> That's yeah, one yeah. thing for sure. <laughs> Another um, way that I, I like the things that you're saying and where our businesses, I think, are very similar in fitness, uh, a lot of times retention is everything. And it very much is for us. No doubt about that. But I've read a a lot of stuff online uh, where, you know, gyms make it very difficult for people to leave. Yes. Uh, You know, cancellation fees. None of that. Yeah. We make it very simple. And, you know, just the other day. Uh Uh-huh. Actually, today's Monday? Yeah. Yeah. Just yesterday, we had a client return that just canceled two months ago. Yeah. And if you treat them right, they will come back. They, they come know? back and then they send yes. their friends and their family because they're like, yes. hey, these people treated me well. That's they're, right. They're, they're good people. They're honest people. They have their their hearts are full of good intention. Like, and they spread the word and that's what you want. Yeah. And if you continue to bill them or make it really hard, they go tell their friends how much you suck. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if you treated yeah. them right for months. Yeah. It's just human nature. I have to know? see this person. I've been seeing them for six months and I'm like 2% better. I mean, who's going to send right. their friends and family to that person? Nobody. I wouldn't. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be that person. But um, so, yeah, and I normally pass them off to you when they're kind of at the point of, okay, we've done all we can do for now. Because strengthening takes time. Sure. And that's what we, that, that's, I don't need to, Hey, we've done what we can do here, but now it's time that you take the next stepping stone. And then this one said, go to OTG. Yeah. Perfect. Philip is (laughs) fabulous, but kind of going back to the whole treatment. Yeah. Let's talk about like, what, what does that treatment plan look like for someone? So regardless of if it's acupuncture or dry needling, and I will say there's variants, right? Depending on the practitioner, everybody has a different flavor. But in general, for both, I would say a, a, a reasonable trial of treatment would be six to eight weeks, once to maybe twice per week. I think three times per week is probably killing it. Um, I mean, I've only seen, some, uh, I mean, a handful of patients three times a week, and that's if in their, if they're in extreme severe pain and they don't want an injection or surgery. They want to do it all natural and they're pretty determined. So I would say six to eight weeks, once, maybe twice per week. And at the end of that six to eight week trial, okay, what are my results? Like we do questionnaires, functional questionnaires. So then the question becomes, is that improvement, whatever improvement may or may not be there at the end of six to eight weeks, is it significant enough for the patient to continue on because not saying you're going to be cured, you know, cure is a strong word to begin with, but, um, you're not going to be a hundred percent after six to eight weeks. But if you're dealing with a patient who has chronic 
symptoms, let's say, or chronic condition, getting 15 to 20% after six to eight weeks is pretty darn good. If they're pretty acute, it's probably much greater than that. You know, you're probably in the 50 to 70 plus percent range as far as improvement. And I feel like that's in the eye of the beholder, the mm-hmm. patient. So let's say if I was, say tomorrow, I'm under the bar, I'm doing some squats and I feel a little, little something in my back or a little something in my glute, like something just doesn't feel right. I go see you. We talk about it. You kind of come with a diagnosis. Six weeks, I'm probably feeling better. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's excessive. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But uh, if my back's been hurting for a year. Different story. This is a different story, right? if you came in after scenario A, I would probably, we would do an assessment. We'd do some therapy. And I I like to pre and post test in the office. So if I can find a movement, like I'd have you go in that squat again. Mm -hmm. What do you feel in that squat? Any discomfort, pulling pain. And then we do some, some therapy, some work and we post test it same, better or worse. And you're like, Hey, actually it's gone. Or it's like 90% better than I'd be like, okay, Philip, well, let's do this. It happened yesterday. We got 80% improvement on day one. Cause again, it's a pretty cute issue. And that's how a lot of acute issues are. Uh, how about we just play it by ear? You know, I would say if in one week you're not back to 95, hundred percent, give me a call again. Okay. Because very well, you would go a week and you'd be like, man, I'm, I'm normal. I'm good. I don't need to come in. I don't need to call her anymore. But yeah, if you've had it for a year or 20 years, like, well, it's, I believe in miracles, but they don't happen every day, at least at my office. I wish they did. <laughs> yeah, right, I wish right, they right, did. Right. But, but we have to be realistic, you know? Okay. Uh, let's, let's go change a little bit. We've been talking about, a lot about acupuncture and dry needling as well, but yeah. Can we talk about the specifics of dry needling? You've already kind of covered how it started back in the 40s and things like that kind of accidentally and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But how are you going to determine when to do the dry needling method versus the acupuncture method? And uh, what says, hey, I'm going to do dry needling here? What's What's the difference? You know, I honestly tend to do a little bit of, com- uh, I do a combination of both because like I said, in uh, the Ashi points in TCM, traditional Chinese medicine are the same as like the trigger points and dry needling. Um, so locally I will do the Ashi or the trigger points like dry needling. But then again, based on any other factors I've teased out, I'll throw in some of those meridian points as well uh, to address that condition or those other issues, um, as well as their, obviously their primary complaint, you know, that, that question I feel is a little hard because I don't necessarily think, at least for me, like there's like a cutoff, like mm. there's like this hard cutoff between, okay, no, 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 this patient's only here for this versus this. I, I don't, you know, I, 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 tend to do a mixture of both. Do you feel like you kind of have your own style? Yeah, I have a hybrid. Combining them together? Yeah, because I will say too, traditional dry needling too is, okay, we're we're needling this painful, tight muscle, right? And most dry needling, like you'll continue to fatigue the muscle essentially. You'll get like a muscle twitch and you're trying to fatigue out the twitch uh, or that muscle to get it to relax. That's not very comfortable, you know, you're kind of getting poked, stabbed, um, and you're getting this like <laughs> this electrical shock. Um, so it's not very pleasant. It works and you're going to be sore after it. But I more so what I have found in my practice is if I can get the needles in and just let the patient relax, 
they respond a ton better. So another case in point uh, is the electroacupuncture or in dry needling too, you'll see where they hook up those alligator clips. Um, it's like electrical stimulation, but with the needles and they get that contraction. I, I, I did that for quite a while and I found that it's a little difficult for most patients to relax when you're hooked up to mm. an electrode, mm-hmm. you know, an electro, uh, electrical <laughs> current. Yeah. Um, and so I've kind of strayed away from that. Um, I don't do that much anymore, but I don't do the traditional like dry needling where I'm constantly poking it until the muscle relaxes. I just kind of stick them in. I might re-stimulate them after five or 10 minutes, but then I let the patient, I step out and I just let them have some alone time, which is very rare in most people's lives to have, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Just to relax. Without your cell phone. Mm-hmm. without watching TV or having any stimulus. And it makes a huge difference if the patient can actually relax. I'll actually ask them to, I'll be like, you know, you know, do we need to be on your cell phone or are you expecting a call from your kid? Cause maybe we could just put the cell phone like off on the side, just so I'd rather you not be playing games on your phone. I understand the need for a distraction, but I want you to listen to your body, mm-hmm. you know? And I want you to breathe and I want you to relax. You get so much better results. And you may, you you don't even have to answer this if you don't want, but do you think that's something that other doctors are doing? I think some, I probably more so in the, the acupuncturists, traditional, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you traditional Chinese medicine, like when you go in for a traditional acupuncture appointment, if you go to like a doctor of oriental uh, medicine or an acupuncturist, you're having those needles in for like 20, 30 minutes. And they might re-stimulate them once. I'm kind of it somewhere in between. I'm like in the five to 10 minute. And then normally too, I'll take them out, retest ranges of motion or like a squat or something functional. And then I'll change the uh, patient's position to address other muscles. But in acupuncture, you're, you're laying there and you got those needles in for like 30 minutes. Mm. So it's hard for you, for your practice, it's hard to determine like, oh, I'm only going to do dry needling or I'm only going to do acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Is that like a blend of both? Mm-hmm. So in that case, um, I have a situation for you. Okay. I didn't tell you we were going to do this. Okay. But I'm going to lay it Dang. out to you and then I want to hear your opinion um, and we'll take it from there. Okay. So about four months ago, I think it's been about four months. Sean, do you remember when I had that really bad shin splint? It was during a, I think it was during one of the runs, right? Yeah, it was after I did a, I have a coach that does my running training. Oh, cool. And we do two mile time trials, like every couple of months to determine like how much I've improved and stuff like that. So right after one of these going really hard, I I had heard of shin splints before, but this is my first time actually experiencing it. I I was completely thrown off. I had no idea even... I was completely wrong about what a shin splint was. Yeah. So are you familiar with shin oh, I'm sure you are. 100%. But yeah. Okay, so anyways. <laughs> I've had them before, okay. I know. <laughs> so it was only on one side. It's only All my right. right leg. And uh, I took three weeks, no running, icing at night, doing some stuff that um, I trained with Powerhouse. Uh, they, mo- they do a lot of triathlon training. Yeah. But I use them for my, I'm running a marathon in January. So oh, you're I, doing the Houston? Yes. Oh, cool. So I've been with them for uh, almost a year now, I guess, kind of getting ready. I've done a couple of half marathon stuff. Anyways, back to the point. Terrible shin splint. I mean, I could, it hurt to walk. Okay. It hurt to drive. I was worried that I was never going to run again. It was just, it was terrible. And it came on out of the blue. Uh, it was slowly coming on. Okay. And then one day after a hard, fast run, got it. I felt it a little bit that night. Next day, 
done for. Yeah. And it's gotten better. Rest and recovery was what I, I just went on online. I talked uh-huh. to Johnny over at powerhouse and he said, Hey, do these couple little exercises. Yeah. Ice at night and don't run for three weeks. And I was like, all right, okay. did that. It's better. And it's definitely better. I, I went on a 13 mile run yesterday and yeah. I feel pretty good today, but okay. I will say that for the past couple of months, I feel even sitting right now, feel it. The front of my right, on the front side of my calf, on the shin, mm-hmm. my right leg feels like this, where my left leg feels like Relaxed. this. Right. And it's like that all the time. And okay. then when we started talking the other day, I was like, I feel like the little bit I know about acupuncture and dry needle, I feel like this is the perfect mm-hmm. thing. So just tell me your thoughts. Like, what, what would you do in a, in a situation like this? So, well, my first question is, like, what stretches or mobility have you done specifically for this? Like, what are you doing, let's say daily for Uh, it? Now, nothing. Okay. At this point, nothing. When it was hurt, I was on the foam roller crying on a daily basis. Were you doing the front, back, side, (laughs) all of it? Both, as well as the quad. Okay. And the quad. And I do do that sometimes if I get on the foam roller, which is maybe once or twice a week for like 10 or 15 minutes before leg day, like before heavy squats, I'll get on the foam roller and I'll do the front of the shin. I'll do the calf. I'll do the quad, uh-huh. glutes, hips, all that kind of stuff. But that's really about it. And that, okay. that's kind of all I'm doing at this point. Okay. So no like static stretches, no accessory strength. Okay. So let me say this. My first thing too is I don't like to come out of the gate and say no running for three weeks. Because the, you know, you know, the longer you're out of an activity, I mean, it takes five, what, five days for muscles to begin to atrophy with no physical activity, which is kind of unfair because it takes longer (laughs) than five days for me to try and get a five pound PR on my deadlift. Right. So, but five days, you start losing your VO2 max for your lung capacity. You start, your muscles start atrophying. So this is where like you go on vacation, you get back to the gym and you like suck and die the Mm -hmm. day one back. But so my whole, my whole approach is like, well, let's try and find something you can do that's tolerable. And I normally use the five out of 10, mm-hmm. okay. Your five out of 10 pain, tightness, discomfort, however you want to um, qualify it on your Richter scale. We want to keep it five out of 10 or less. So what about the elliptical? What about the bike? What, what can we do from a physical activity? Uh, I was doing stuff okay. like that, but just no running. No running. I was running. doing no okay. running. Yes. So like, that's my thing too. Cause it's like, that's the last thing we want to do. We want to modify, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Even going on walks, going to walk, you know, yeah, I, was do, walk. I was doing okay. that. Yeah. So my whole thing is, it's like, okay, we have the, the foam rolling mm-hmm. and foam rolling provided temporary relief. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It did feel better. For okay. Sure. For like just maybe that run or that activity or would it last a whole day or would uh, you have to do it multiple times? Less than a day. Yeah. Less okay. may, maybe a few hours. So then my mind starts thinking, and you were mainly focusing on the front back of the calf and the quads. Yes. So now my mind starts thinking somewhere else. Okay. Because this was how, four months ago? Yeah, it was a few months ago. Okay, a few months ago. So now my mind's like, hmm, okay. Okay, it it, it wasn't necessarily, it was a, a little insidious. It wasn't like overnight per se, but it, after a long, hard yes. run, it was like, boom, it was in your face, right? Mm-hmm. So my mind starts going to something else. Something else is causing it, the roots somewhere else. And I would start poking around. I would start looking at your hamstrings. I would go all the way up to your glutes, your TFL, IT band. I would be looking at your adductors and like basically where the shin splint is. I'd be poking around the back of the calf too to see if I could trace that chain up and down. Because like, for instance, if it's, 
you know, plantar fasciitis, it tends to be on the inside of the heel. And then if you start going up the inside of the calf, adductors, you're going to find that whole chain is tight. Or it could be coming from the TFL and the IT band on the outside down through the outside of the calf. So you have to find, okay, what chain is primarily affected? And it could, in the beginning, everything's tight, so it's kind Mm -hmm. of hard to say. I say there's a lot of white noise, and we have to clean up, but the white noise cleans up quickly. It releases quickly. It's no big deal. You, you, you roll it for 10, 20 seconds. It's good. The stubborn stuff. The stubborn stuff is what you want to really clue into because generally speaking, if it's been kind of lingering now for a few months, it might not really need mobility. It might need additional loading. Okay. So then what I do is, okay, what muscle or muscle groups are the stubborn ones? And I litmus test a couple of isolated exercises that, hey, you're going to start incorporating this into your warm-up, not just for your runs, but you're going to incorporate it into your warm-up for your workouts. Because clearly this is weak and we need to address it. There's an imbalance. Yeah, another, and you, you mentioned workouts. The Right now I feel it's, a very, it's very minor. But you know where I do feel it is at the bottom of a squat. The uh-huh. knees go forward. It yep. tightens up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can I can feel it kind of almost wants to cramp. Okay, you know, yeah. so so like these are the things, though, that it's like, okay, in office and depending on the squat, I don't know. I don't know if it's like under fatigue or if you've been squatting a while or if there's weight or if it's like squat one, like squat number one, uh, air no, squat. F- for, for sure. Yeah, okay. squat one. But but see, like the those are the cases uh, that are kind of I really like because we can easily pre and post test them. This the the stuff that gets a little tricky, which is still doable, happens every day, is the time stuff. Well, I don't really start feeling this until like my last set of squats or if uh-huh. I'm really, really heavy. Well, we don't have an hour for you to go over to my squat rack and you to fatigue out. So, you know, we need to we need to assess what we can. If I can't elicit it in any other way, I'm going to go off of palpation and what you're feeling and we're going to litmus test. Dang, I was really hoping she'd say, I can stick some needles in that thing and fix it. <laughs> well, but that's that, what I was looking for. But see, you know, that, but that's the thing. But though, it obviously doesn't work. That I way. use the needles, though, as a diagnostic. Yeah. In a way, because I'll, I'll go through and I'll palpate, and it's like, okay, let's say you're the medial calf in particular, the inside of the calf was really, really tight, and all the way up in the adductors, let's just say. I'm going to needle that chain and then I'm going to have you do the air squat again. Okay. Hey, Philip, better, same or worse. And if it's better, how much better? Because I'm always asking, give me a Richter scale number in the bottom of that squat. How bad does it want to cramp? Are you talking like a three or two? Or are you talking like a five, six? And then I'm going to go through, do some needling, some ART, you know, off of my palpation and what you're, what feedback you're giving me. And they'll say, Hey, do that squat again for me. Is it different? Has it moved? Has it changed? Because it might move, it might change. Well, now it's not on my shin, it's in my knee. Okay, okay, well, now we're going to go. We're going to move up a little bit. And that's what I love about what I do because it's. I feel like a PI. I feel yeah. like a detective. Yeah, I, say, it I feel like, like you were kind of hunting I feel, it down. I feel like <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like the detective phase because, you know, it's never the same thing. It's never, like... Or like the treatment, you know, you're, you're going to respond totally different than you, mm-hmm. you know, even though, even if you guys had the same issue with shin splints, mm-hmm. you know, you might respond better to the, to the needling and you might respond better to cupping. I mean, who knows? Right. But the, the first hurdle is to figure out, okay, what's, where's the root, where's it really coming from? And it's a lot of pre and post testing. It's a lot of litmus testing. And that's what I, I love about it. 
So I'm always like, take good notes, take good notes. I call it the report card. Like when you come back, the first thing I'm going to have you sit down and tell me from last week is give me, give me the report card. Mm-hmm. There you go. Nice. Something that I really wanted to cover. I'm glad we determined that. And I determined that I didn't do anything right. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. At least you were doing something. Yeah, yeah for sure. Something's better than nothing. Something yeah. that I wanted to cover though, and that I, we always like to cover here is what can someone actually do if they're suffering from something that could be fixed by this? And so for me, I was like, man, maybe dry needling or acupuncture could help this shin splint I have. If someone has back pain, if someone mm-hmm. has hip flexor tightness and all these things, whether they're an athlete or not, right? These yeah. things happen to athletes. They happen to non-athletes, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. And it sounds like from the discussion that we just had, the most important thing is to try things and go beyond the one place where you're feeling the injury. Is that Am yes. I in, in my moving in the right direction there? I would say in general, in the in the majority of cases, this isn't, I, I would say the vast majority of cases, the site of pain, tightness, discomfort, whatever the symptom is, numbness, tingling, that's not the root. That's the consequence. That's the collateral damage. Things tend to show up in the extremities first because they're smaller inherently weaker structures they fail first they're the weaker link in the chain what's going to fail first the weakest link you normally what i find is you have to trace it back to the trunk in most cases not all but most where especially if things are lingering you know this wasn't like some calf tweak that you had for two days and you got some needling and it was a one and done like i've never had this issue before do some needling it's gone I never hear from you, at least for a long, long time. But I start tracing it up because it's like, hmm, this has been lingering. Okay, and you, okay, for a good time, you were consistent with rolling it out or stretching and doing all these other things, but still, still there. You're here, you're just sitting and you're still feeling it. Something's up. I've heard this explained in a lot of ways, but I really like what you said where it it finds its way to the weakest weakest link. And so what I'm picturing in my head is I do know that um, my hips are often very tight, mm-hmm. um, from a combination of, you know, lifting. I sit a lot as well. If yeah. I'm not working out, I'm often sit down at the computer, right? So yep. hips can be really tight. I, uh, started running a little over a year ago. So what I'm picturing in my head right now is I have this issue with my right hip, which I know anytime I do a modified pigeon stretch a lot yeah. with Love the, it. with the inclined bench, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? And that right hip is always just you know, locked up. So right now what I'm picturing is my hip leading to down the hamstring. Going right down the chain. Down, down right down and you're feeling through the it knee there. and then weakest link front of the leg. So you know what I'd say is, and this is what um, I would tell a patient is, it's like, okay, well, why don't you try this? Okay, you you went through, you already did a trial test of rolling out the front back of your calf and your quad, right? Let's do another test. I want you to get a mobility ball. Ideally, a mobility ball for the glute. I'm not I'm not huge. Like, it's hard to roll out your glute on a foam roller. At least I think it is. I feel like with a mobility ball, you can get in all those little nooks and crannies. Mm-hmm. You're going to focus on your glute and your hamstring. And you're going to do that for a week. And then you're, you're at least rolling it out, the glute and the hamstring, at least once per day. At least for one minute each region. So minute glute, minute hammy. Better, same, or worse. Seven-day trial in comparison to your baseline right now. Right. That's how you start. That's the PI. That's the, okay. you're in the detective phase. Because I mean, if it was coming from your your calf or your quad, it should be, you'd think it'd be a lot 
Yeah, a little bit further by now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's it's still kind of lingering. And you're a fit, healthy guy, you know. Um, shouldn't it be a few months plus in? So I would say you haven't found the root yet. Keep looking. I'm going to keep searching. Keep and, looking. And if you're listening to this and you're dealing with an injury, yeah, keep searching. Keep, Try to find yes. the root of the issue. Yes. It's likely the weakest link. If it's your low back, then it's something yes. else that's connected to that. There's something else going on. If you're constantly rolling out your upper back, and yes, there are knots there. Yes, mm. it's tender. But, oh, I roll, like you hear it all the time. I roll, 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 and I stretch to stretch. But by tomorrow morning, it's, ball it's back. all back. And then, I, and I, you know, I call that the mobility rut. You're the hamster on the wheel mm-hmm. and you're going nowhere because by tomorrow morning and it gets frustrating. It gets frustrating. Cause you're like, uh, some people feel like they become married to mobility. Like if I don't do all this stretching and rolling out, I'm in pain. Well, maybe mobility really isn't the problem. Something, things that tend to be chronically tight tend to be chronically weak. Now, not saying like, okay, my hip flexors are really, really tight. They must be chronically weak. I'll just say if something is chronically tight, that in the, that means that something in this chain is chronically weak. Something's throwing it off. Mm-hmm. Are they overworking? Are they not working enough? Is that why they're chronically tight? And this tight? is a really long chain with lots of links on it. 100%. Yeah. And you're trying to find the link that's dysfunctional in the chain more often than not it traces back to the trunk because if we don't have a strong trunk we don't got strong limbs and the limbs are going to break first because they're Mm -hmm. smaller and weaker so typically for instance people who have lower back pain dollars to donuts in in most chronic cases i'll be like have you ever had a history of plantar fasciitis or like really really tight hamstrings or hip flexors or you've had knee issues you know jumpers knee or anything like that or meniscal issues and dollars to donuts most chronic low back patients will say you know I had had some knee issues whether it was diagnosed or not or plantar fasciitis oh I googled it and I rolled out my foot and and it went away though but did it really go away because you still have your low back pain. Like this is how like the body, the body is fascinating and it will adjust and compensate. And and, and I feel like it plays red herring in a way because it'll move and, and you'll think it's a different issue. No, it's all coming from the same root. So it's like your foot, knee, hip issues and your low back is all coming from this. this. This one area, something's tight, something's weak. We just have to figure out which one, which one's which. And then once we have that nailed down, the exercises are super easy. And guess what? You don't have to do 30 extra exercises every day. It's the diagnosing of the problem that's so difficult. Yes. Once you figure it out, once you can really nail down what it is, the the accessory works simple and it's practical because this is where I feel like a lot of people fail out of PT or they do PT, they get good, um, they get good results, but they don't maintain because it's too much. It's too overwhelming. We have packets of exercises and stretches and they're like, and I get it. I don't have time to do 30. Yeah, it's boring. You know, it gets mundane, but if you had, let's just say one to three exercises that I had you do and I had you incorporate into your warm up daily. So it's not even like you have to do them separately at night or separately in the morning. Now, Hey, you already work out, you know, okay. Four, three to five days per week. Every time you work out, I don't care if it's a cardio day, a lower body day, an upper body day, you're going to do these two things or these three things, every consistency. I can do that. You're going to focus on your weaknesses and your weaknesses are different from mine and Sean's and like you have to just, you have to know, you have to identify it, but then you're going to focus on these three exercises consistently 
and you have to give it some time. My, I normally say eight weeks for 15 to 20% improvement from the exercises alone, like in addition to therapy. Mm. But that in the long run is how you're going to manage this. Because all that happened with that long run is you put a magnifying glass over one of your weaknesses. You just have to figure out what that is. Yeah, it got exposed. Mm-hmm. Let's say someone's in the mobility rut. And maybe this is how we can kind of wrap this whole thing up. Okay. Someone's in the mobility rut. They've been trying. Can't figure it out. Keeps coming back. Um, what's the best way? Do you just kind of go online and find someone local to you? Obviously you're here in the Webster area. Yeah. You're obviously can help out. Uh, the name of your business is summit sport therapy. Um, should they just go online and Google? Is there Mm -hmm. any vetting to, to do to make sure you're talking to someone that really knows what they're doing, what's going on, especially if they're interested in acupuncture or dry needling? I mean, the, the nice thing about today, today's age is, you know, Google them and go to their website, see what they do, see what information they have. Listen, the more modalities a practitioner has, I I say tools in the tool belt. I think the better off most patients are because the more tools I have in my tool belt, uh, the probability I'm going to help somebody is greatly increased, right? Whereas if I, the only thing I have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you yeah. know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and it may not work for everybody. So, you know, Google them, research them. Of course, call. I have people call me all the time and, and they want to ask me specific questions or email like, hey, I have this condition. What could you do for me? And have you treated this? And, and what would you do? And it's like, absolutely. I love those types of uh, questions and and people exploring their options. But absolutely. Google, research, call, talk to other people. I mean, nowadays too, there, I feel like there's so many uh, websites, you know, what is it? Health grades. Ooh, I'm not familiar, but I mean, I think I understand what you're saying where they go and give actual qualified readings. I I almost feel like there's like way too many of them now, but I mean, I mean, even like, for instance, on like Facebook groups, you know, people will like, Put up because I people will like will tag me in like you know the Friendswood you know sure yeah group. and I, and I'm not I don't live in Friendswood so I'm not part of the group so I can't even see the post but I can see they tag <laughs> yes, me in yes I know what you're talking it's about so happens annoying. to us it yeah. happens to me too yeah um but like go in like your local community page and like give a shout out or a recommendation you know and or like even on Instagram and have people like DM you so there's plenty of ways to reach out. You just have to do just a little bit of work. Well, if someone is in, um, South, we're on the South side of Houston yes. and Webster clear Lake area. Yes. Do you want to share how the best place to get hold of you? Um, social medias, phone numbers, email address, what, what's best for you? Social media, email, always the best way. Um, we're a very small practice. It's just me. And my dad is my office manager. I did. I have recently roped in my husband though. He's, he's, He's learning, he's training to get more involved, but um, contact at summitsporttherapy.com. Go to our website, check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Plenty of videos and you can see if we're like a good jive. Perfect. Yeah. Anything else you want to share before we wrap this up? No, I think this is good. This was really fun. Awesome. Thank I'm you. glad you liked it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Sean, do you have any uh, questions, comments um, before we finish up? Um. So my thoughts on acupuncture is very little. A lot of it's pulled from like cartoons and other things (laughs) like that when I was a kid. And so there would always be someone that gets acupuncture done and it covers their whole body. Whole body, yeah. Is that a a common thing in acupuncture and dry needling or no? 
I mean, not to the point where you look like a porcupine. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen those <laughs> like, yeah. funny comics. To, yeah, yeah, I got it yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, not to the point where you look like a porcupine. But like, I mean, I will do in some instances, maybe a, a couple points here, a couple points in like the the ankle, feet, calf. Okay, so um, it's more like centralized little yeah, areas. And, and those are like the acu points. But like, let's say their issue was more like lower back and glute, hip. I'm going to focus mainly there and just hit like maybe a couple distal points. So you're okay. you're not going to look like, yeah, a porcupine. Okay, gotcha. So I should probably not take a bunch of information from the cartoons <laughs> yeah, where right. a, a, a talking cat salt. and a yeah. talking uh, rat are fighting. Gotcha. Yeah, cool. take, it, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, uh, guys, like uh, this video. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. Five-star reviews are very helpful for us as well. Remember that what we're trying to do here is help Houston make its way up the ladder of health and fitness. So the more we can share this episode, the more love that you can give it, share with your friends. Um, if you're feeling any aches, pains, obviously you can um, contact Dr. Katie here, or you can just listen to this episode, try to implement some things yourself. If you have a friend that's struggling with something, be sure to share it with them and we will see you next time. Absolutely. All right. Peace out. All right. Bye.